Alana Burke, CEO of Your Life's Workshop, coach to entrepreneurs and solopreneurs across dozens of industries and host of Good Business. With nearly 20 years experience helping hundreds of clients create profitable, ethically driven and sustainable businesses based on their life's work, I'm here to teach you how to do great work, make great money and make a positive impact without feeling like you need a shower afterwards. Hi there, welcome. Today's episode is the final chapter in our ethical selling series. And today we're talking about one of my favorite and least favorite topics to talk about, marketing funnels. So today we're going to talk about what they are and what they aren't. We're going to go into a little bit of history about where marketing funnels came from, what their original intention was, and how they've been a little bit co-opted by internet marketers everywhere, right? We're also going to talk about uh, why I think they're a terrible way to structure a client relationship and uh, why I think that it's a crap way to get started with anybody and what to do instead as a result. So uh, just a preface here, I feel like I could do an entire podcast, like a whole podcast all by itself on just this topic and I would have enough content for years, right? There's a lot to be said about this. There's a lot of debate. There's a lot of content. There's a lot of things and permutations and and components to this. So I want you to know that today is really just going to be a primer. The idea is that by the end of the episode, I want you to have a clear understanding of the simple fact that a marketing funnel is not at all a necessity, nor is it even really a good idea if relationship building and trust are core values for you, your business, or for those you serve. So I want you to be at least questioning by the end of this episode. So you might have a marketing funnel. You might be in the process of del- of creating one. You might even be beating yourself up for not having one yet. Uh, that's all of those states of being are fine, right? Like I just want you to at least have some tools to examine what you're doing and why. Which so much of like what we do in business, especially when you're starting out, is like it's all a big flipping fucking mystery, right? (laughs) Like you follow instructions, you follow people who seem successful and you do what they did and then they get successful and then they teach you how to do what they did. And, and so around and around we go and we just keep following the same patterns over and over and over and over and over again. Right. But the thing is you don't actually have to do that. And we're going to talk about critical thinking and decision-making in another episode. I promise it's like a huge, big area. But today, I at least want you to start dipping your toe in the water of going, you know what? I'm allowed to be discerning in my business. Just because it worked for somebody else doesn't mean it's the right thing for me. And marketing funnels are like the big fucking flashing red neon sign of marketing of that everyone thinks they have to do. And you don't. 11 years in, I still don't have a marketing funnel. Okay. So please know that. And um, I'm, I'm practicing what I preach on this one. So First off, let's talk about what a marketing funnel is. Now, I'm betting that if I lined up 10 people listening right now, you'd all give me 10 different answers. They'd all be sort of in the same neighborhood, but they're probably not as informed as you think they are. So the idea of a marketing funnel is, uh, it's actually a really complicated question because it goes all the way back to a guy named Elias St. Elmo Lewis back in 1898. He developed the AIDA model, which essentially, if you picture the A at the top and the other A at the bottom, um, that's that's originally how a marketing funnel 
was created is the idea was when you go through a a customer process, it, it was about like the psychology of a buying process for an individual customer. And he was an advertising guy. Like he was kind of one of the original ad men, right? Like, um, and he's widely acknowledged as the foundation for this. That's a model that's still absolutely in use today. So um, the idea of AIDA is awareness, interest, desire, action. So the customer becomes aware that your thing exists. They get interested in it. They start actively expressing interest in a, in a particular product. So, you know, at the grocery store, that could be as simple as just picking something up off the shelf. That's the interest stage. Then uh, desire, right? I'm, I start to feel those feelings of like, actually, you know, I think I want this. I think I'm going to buy this. Then you actually take action. You purchase, right? So it's relatively simple and it's like almost like a duh thing now, right? Like obviously they have to go through those things, but you know, in 1898, not so duh, right? (laughs) So try to see it through that lens. Now, the idea of that funnel has been, you know, over the subsequent century and a half or so, that idea has been sort of co-opted into three separate things or uses, depending on your perspective. And I mean, this is kind of my, like I said, rough and tumble explanation of this. So the first is the original model. It's still used as a basic roadmap for selling. I remember back when I was like 23 and I was managing a makeup store at a mall. <laughs> I, um, we were taught a permutation of this that was like about how to get sales, you know? So it was like the hello, the approach. I think it was a acron- the acronym was habit. It was like hello, approach. Uh, I don't remember all the other things, but it ended up with ask for the sale, right? So it was a way of following that same pattern. So I have seen innumerable permutations of people trying to co-op this and make it their own and make it into something else because it is straightforward. You have to get people to see it. You have to get people interested. You have to get people to want it. And then you have to get people to buy it. It's, you know, that's how selling works, right? That's the basics of business. So it's the backbone of marketing, honestly. So the original model, totally awesome. If you can, um, you know, when you approach it, when you think about it, as long as you're doing all of those stages with empathy and service mindedness, you're golden. Awesome, right? That's not the marketing funnel we're talking about today. The second is a conversion funnel. A conversion funnel is mostly kind of has emerged out of e-commerce because it's um, basically used to describe the process that an individual user goes through while interacting with a website or an online store or something like that. It's how uh, how they their initial visit results in a sale. So it follows the same model as the original, but it involves deliberate choices that can be easily manipulated to result in sales. So inherently not, so again, not inherently bad, but it can be and often is, right? It's um, using psychology, heat maps, uh, particular color theory, all to, with the end of getting people to take action not delivering value. So notice those the difference there. It's a common theme. It's something that I'm going to be talking about, you know, a lot during this episode is um, this is effective, right? So uh, effective doesn't always equal good. And that's that's kind of what we're talking about. So the third is the marketing funnel. That's That's the core of what we're really, really venturing into today. And that's the philosophy uh, where v- that ventures into kind of dehumanizing financially driven strategy. It's in the absence of some clear and deep examination, it's basically always a negative as far as I'm concerned. It's, you know, because it's taught in a way that completely devalues the actual needs, agency, and consent of the person that you're trying to sell to. So 
my biggest problem here is not actually with the model. Like most things, I've said this before, you can't, you know, marketing is like a hammer. You can't hate a hammer for being a hammer. You hate the hand that wields it, right? Um, This is just like that, right? But the thing is, I see very few people actually doing a marketing funnel well and ethically because they're all taught the same way. We all follow the same playbooks, right? So in the absence of criticizing that, in the absence of noticing that there's some really dark shit happening when you push someone headfirst into a funnel, um, this is what keeps happening, even among really great ethical, cool people. Like I have a lot of dear friends and other business owners that I love that do this stuff without further, without looking harder, So maybe this episode will help people, you know, will challenge people to look a little harder. That's my goal here, right? So what does the yucky version of a marketing funnel commonly look like? It looks like free stuff at the top that hard sells you into some lower price stuff. uh, And we're going to get into what a tripwire is a little bit later in the episode. Um, it, It basically is making you go, okay, I'm interested in this thing that I got for free, but it didn't actually solve anything. So I guess maybe I should buy their $19.99 thing and maybe that'll solve my thing. And then that hard sells you into a slightly higher price thing with a little bit more depth, but probably still doesn't solve your core problem. And then that hard sells you into a high ticket, high value offer that maybe solves your problem, probably solves your problem, but it, but that's sort of not even the point at that point, right? Um, not for the, the marketer, at least, because and we're going to get into why in just a second. So at each stage, you're actually expected that you'll lose people. Like, like, really think about that for a second. Like you put all that effort in and you're expecting that people will drop off based on what you deliver. Think about how messed up that is and how much of a waste of energy that is. So we're going to circle back to that again in just a moment, but I want to go into why that's bad. So you cast a really wide net, right? Make really big promises. You promise things that you know, you know, going in that you're not going to actually completely deliver on at the first stage, at the jump. Your brand is making this big promise, but the thing that's the free thing at the top isn't actually making that promise. But psychologically, we, we don't know the difference, right? We as visitors, when we're making these millisecond decisions of like signing up for a list or something, we're looking at the promise of their whole brand. We're not looking at the promise of the opt-in. So you, you get this like collateral authority based on what you develop around it. So then when you do, when you don't actually deliver on it, you're like, well, may, the, people start questioning themselves. Maybe it was just me, da, 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 right? So you lose people because you made a promise you aren't delivering on and you're getting away with it because you manipulated the language of your original promise so that the first thing, like an opt-in, kind of delivered. And it's that interest that it kind of delivered. It's like it delivered like adjacent, <laughs> right? Um, that will get a certain percentage of your buyer's to spend a little cash and go a little bit deeper. But think about this for a second. The people that drop off should be the ones you want most if you're good at what you do. Like, really think hard on that. What about the quality of the people who are buying? Do you ever think about that? Like, does anybody ever think about that? Or do they just see people as dollar signs? I honestly don't. I don't know. Maybe, I I know I'm not the only one. But I know that... The numbers are fewer than they should be. The ones who dropped off are smart, discerning, and actively looking for what you have. If you're good at what you do, the idea of leaving 
of leaving even one behind because you didn't deliver on something should make this whole process a no-go for you. That one thing. So what started as a way of understanding and relating to customers has become a way of manipulating them. And that sucks. So let's like untangle that, right? So now we have terms like lead magnet and tripwire, and we have all of these other terms for all of the different permutations of a marketing funnel. So I want to go into what those are for a second because we're getting so jargony in this industry that it's like new people coming in feel like they're inherently missing something. You know, when they hear someone more experienced say things like, what's my new lead magnet? Or I got to develop a new tripwire. Uh, and it causes it. It's part of like the root cause of this continuing to perpetuate because then you hear those things from people who are more advanced than you and then you go looking for what they are and then you do the thing instead of questioning the thing because it has the authority of that first person that you thought was doing it the right way, right? So a lead magnet is basically an interchangeable term with an opt-in. It's a simple, easy to understand way of getting people to take action in some way and become a part of your active community instead of just like, you know, if your podcast is just a listener or, you know, somebody who's a lurker, right? It's turning a lurker into someone engaged. It's a simple, easy to understand way of getting people to like just move into that action mode. So for big retail giants, this might be something like a free gift or a 10% off coupon for signing up for a mailing list, that kind of thing. So for internet-based solopreneurs, which I'm sure many of you are, uh, this is like a checklist, a simple ebook, a short basic course, that sort of stuff. We all know what freebies look like. So that's a lead magnet and an opt-in, same thing. A tripwire is the thing that you sell them after they get the free thing to get them into the next stage of the funnel. It's designed inherently to be too good to pass up. Cheap, easy, yes. But it's not usually basically cheap. It's usually something that's deeply discounted uh, for some asset that you have. So like um, a special thing just for our subscribers, you get half off on this if you buy in the next 10 minutes or if you click through in the next five days while you're reading my ebook or something, right? Um, it should be something that is like such a easy, simple yes that it's like almost a no-brainer and will feel like it solves the problem that your lead magnet was supposed to solve but didn't. So people, it's easy to talk yourself into like, okay, well, for 15 bucks, I guess I'll get the next thing, <laughs> right? Because marketers know, and this is really, really fucking important, pay attention, okay? Like, Stop jogging for a second or whatever you're doing. Pay attention to this part because marketers know that when someone buys once, they are statistically like quadruply more likely. I know that's not a statistical word. This is why I'm not a math major. They're way, way, way more fucking likely to buy more later and and probably quickly. This is the moment where a marketing funnel starts to work, where they go from, I signed up for your thing and gave you my information, so I'm giving you permission to market more things to me, to I just gave you some money. Now, why is this so important? Why is getting someone to spend 15 bucks or 10 bucks or five bucks, whatever it is, why is that so critical? Because once we buy something, we feel invested in it. That used to be true about just giving someone our email address, but it's not anymore. Uh, it, that used to be like just getting people on your list. That's why, you know, pop-ups and all that stuff. People start to feel invested. It It's just not true anymore because it's so prevalent. Like we've gotten so used to it that we don't feel that same level of investment. But the minute you take out your credit card, all that changes. Now, once you're invested in it, your ego is tied to it. It means that we will actively look for value in it to validate the choice that we make to purchase it in the first place. 
So even when we don't feel like we're getting value from something, we'll actually be more likely to buy from the same source because we feel invested. We feel like we start questioning ourselves. Like we want to feel like we made a good decision. That's critical, right? Everybody wants to feel like they made a good decision. So we'll buy the deeper thing just to see if maybe we need that to feel inherent value. So the deeper we go, the more money we spend, the more engaged you become with that brand, the less inclined you'll be to get critical of what you're consuming. And the more likely you'll become to recommend it to others. The more money you spend, the more likely you are to recommend it, the less likely you are to criticize it. And by the bottom of the marketing funnel, you're so invested that you may even start pushing the thing you bought on friends and loved ones. All this to feed a really natural subconscious need to validate our choices. This is, we are hardwired this way, you guys. Like seriously, thinking you're immune to it is a mistake. Thinking that your people are immune to it is a mistake. I'm not immune and I see these tricks clear as day in front of me. I still crave solutions and validation and simple fixes just as much as anyone. But I also work really, really hard not to add to the bullshit. And that's what we're talking about right now. If enough of us can make an example of the fact that this is not the only way to fucking do it, then it'll start to change. And we'll start to give people their agency back. We'll start to give people choice back. We'll start to give people a reason to buy instead of a manipulation into buying. So what should we be doing instead? That's the really big question, right? If not this, then what? So glad you asked, right? So first, look critically at what you're offering and to whom and why you're offering it. Your offers should always consider two things. And this is going to be like, duh, right? Um, But what do your people want and what do your people need? Chances are they need and want a lot of things, but you're only paying attention to like one thing because we all think we're supposed to solve one big fucking problem. Well, chances are you're never going to solve the one big fucking problem for a lot of people, right? Because there's a thousand tiny problems that make up that one big problem. That's where that's where the real stuff comes in, right? That's where all the ancillary things that your brand offers become important. Because chances are, if you've done the work to know your people, to know who they are, to know what they value, and if you don't know and you're confused by this right now, um, check out episode episode four. Um, that's the one where we talk about values and value. Let's dive in. This will all make a lot more sense. Then instead of sneaking up behind them and shoving them into a funnel, you give them what they want and need in as many possible ways as you can. So here's what that could look and feel like. So you've got somebody in front of you and they're like, hi, I know you need X, I have, and you want Y, and I have both, right? Take my hand. Let me show you why it's worth it to invest in what I have to offer. So go through that again, right? Like, instead of going, hey, 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 dive headfirst into my funnel, (laughs) giving him a swift kick, right, Um, that they have very little control over, instead you're like, hi, I'm, I'm offering you an invitation. Would you like me to show you why it's worth it? to invest and give me money? I would like to show you why it's worth it. Here's some small ways I can show you why it's worth it. I can give you opportunities to actually get a real taste and solve a real problem in small ways. So it should break down their needs, their their like really big needs and desires into a lot of teeny tiny ones and should satisfy those a piece at a time. 
with incredible value at each stage. It's okay to give away the farm if you like that that's the thing about a farm. It keeps growing new things, right? If you're good at what you do and you're creative, you're not a you're not a like a finite commodity, right? You're a never-ending well of new and creative ways to solve problems and offer new things, right? So remember that. Have faith in that. If you give people a taste of deep value, you don't have to manipulate them with low-value fluff. It's really that simple. Because those highly engaged, intelligent people that see and feel big value from small price things are exactly the people that you want because they're going to be the ones that are are genuine evangelists who the people around them deeply trust. So think of this another way. I'm going to lay out, I'm going to tell you like a fun little story, okay? Think of this another way. It's your birthday, right? And you make a reservation at the buzzy hot new restaurant across town. And when you get there, they you have to kind of stand around and wait. And it's really, really loud. And it's not quite the like intimate experience you were expecting or kind of hoping for. But, you know, it was buzzy and everybody said it was really good. So you went and it's your birthday. So you're trying to like make the best of it because it's fun because there's all these expectations, right? And then the first course, you get some decent, like not great, but, you know, okay, like passable, fresh, nice baked bread, right? Yeah, it might taste good. It might even satisfy your hunger a little bit, but you're going to really want the next thing to be better, more special, right? You're going to want, you're really going to like go, okay, like it's got to be better than bread, right? Really? I mean, it's not even olive bread. It's just bread. And then the next course is like a Caesar salad, right? Even if it's the best Caesar salad you've ever had, it's still just a fucking Caesar salad. It's still something you can get Olive Garden, right? But now you're not going to get up and walk out, even though you've had kind of two strikes to tell you that this is not really as special as you thought it was going to be. You're not going to get up and right walk out because you're hungry and you want to see what the fuss is of this fancy new place, right? You want to be part of the experience of going there. You want to be able to tell people tomorrow at work that you went there, right? You don't want to admit that it you might that it might have all been like a dumb waste of money. There's very few people in the world who will, right? And and obviously these are like these are big blanket statements. I I'm aware of that. Like I know that many of you probably might get up and walk out if it's mediocre. So just know I acknowledge that, right? But in your mind, so we're back to the guy in the restaurant, right? In your mind, you may even be thinking maybe that was an amazing salad and I'm just not refined enough to recognize its awesomeness right? Like you start convincing yourself that you're not tasting what you're tasting, that you're not experiencing what you're experiencing, that you're not disappointed because who wants to be disappointed on their birthday? Who wants to be disappointed when they spent a bunch of money and waited ages for a reservation and went through all these hoops to get to where they are? But by the final course, which was pretty good, maybe even great, it might have been the best steak you've ever had. But it still wasn't an experience that you thought you were going to have. It's you, And you still had to like wade through a bunch of crap to get there. So you're convinced, though, even though you had to wade through all the crap, that you had the best meal ever. You tip well and you rave about it. But only parts of it were good. It was actually one thing that was watered down and spread out over the whole meal. It was like emotionally, right? It was that one simple, like the one course that was great. Your brain will sort of paint the whole experience with that one brush, right? You won't talk about the mediocre Caesar salad. You won't talk about the okay bread. You'll talk about, oh my God, I went there and they had the best steak I've ever had. 
but how long did it take you to get there? And how much disappointment did you talk yourself out of before you got to that spot? So instead, you could go to a Michelin star restaurant, right? Something that is universally respected and understood to be excellent. And the first course is an amuse-bouche, and it's an explosion of flavor. One bite feels life-changing. And in that single bite, you know you're in for something special. And every course after that is thoughtfully designed, well-executed, and offers surprise value that you never knew you wanted or needed, right? Every stage of that entire evening makes you feel hungry and eager for what's next and makes you feel special for being a part of it. So instead of talking yourself into the experience being special when it isn't, it actually feels special. It feels like something that only you experienced and that is fucking magical. And you'll want to tell people about it, but kind of not because it feels so special. You'll sort of want to protect it a little bit, right? So you'll only tell people that you know for sure will enjoy it as much as you will. So when you think about that from a business standpoint, You can be the buzzy new thing that does all the new stuff, right? Or you can be the Michelin star restaurant that lasts, that takes years to get that good, that takes years to develop their processes, that takes ages to develop something that's truly exceptional and offers great value at every turn, at every stage, at every corner of the whole experience, so that the only people those ones tell are the ones they know are going to be right for it too. So what would you rather have? highly engaged, highly discerning, highly intelligent, incredibly cool people that are part of your business or not. And that is not to say, I want to, I want to say one more time, that is not to say that people who fall into a marketing funnel are dumb. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that they might have been the wrong people for you to begin with. Just because they bought from you, just because they told people about you doesn't mean that they were the right people. Did you satisfy them? Did you change them? Did you make their life or business better? Whatever it is that you sell, right? Did you do that? Do you know, right? So your business can be buzzy and mediocre and successful, or your business can be magnificent, special, and successful. You pick. How you deliver is absolutely everything. It shows people what matters to you. It shows people that they matter to you. It shows people that Your work is more than just trying to make a buck, trying to make a living, trying to feed your family. It shows people that your work that you're putting out is your life's work. It shows them that you care so deeply about what they're experiencing that you're going to go far above and beyond as an effort to be of service instead of focusing entirely on success. And the thing is, when you do this, success sort of happens. It just does. It might take longer, though. So just know that, okay? It might take longer, but oh my God, it's so much sweeter at the end. All right, everybody. I want to thank you all for being here for our whole selling series and also for those of you that participated in our launch week giveaway. Uh, It's wonderful to have you as part of our community. And I really, really, really encourage you to check out the earlier episodes, especially in the selling series. It's definitely the foundation of the work that I do. And um, I hope that you enjoyed our little primer today. And uh, I hope to see you again soon. All right, everybody. Have a good day. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. For more information, visit 
thegoodbusiness.co or yourlifesworkshop.com.